Half the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host, and joining me on this very special UFC 201, UFC ATL edition of Half the Battle is the executioner himself, James Vick. James, welcome back to Half the Battle, my man. Thanks. Glad to be back. I'm glad to, get, uh, to pick all these fights and give you my predictions. Absolutely, man, and it's obviously always a pleasure to talk to you. We got to get the elephant out the room first, and I mean, your last fight, it didn't go your way, but you know what, man? No one is exempt from that first UFC L. It doesn't matter if you're Anderson Silva, GSB, Bisbing, Eddie Alvarez, Weidman, Rockhold. It doesn't matter. Frankie Edgar, everyone has to take that first UFC L. You finally took yours, but you know what, man? If I know James Vick, I know you're going to bounce back stronger. Yeah, it's still, I'm not, I'd be lying if, it, if I said it still didn't bother me and it, really bad, but I guess it does happen, and I just, you know, I felt like I got caught. Um, I still think I'm a better fighter, and I know people might not agree with that, but I just feel like I got caught with like the perfect the, the perfect counter shot, and he capitalized, and I really just believe it was kind of more what he did right than what I did wrong. He just he landed the perfect counter shot, and then once he got me on the ground, he capitalized, and I took a, a lot of shots on the ground and tried to get up. And I, when I got back to my feet, I thought I was you know a little more clearer than what I was, and obviously I wasn't. And then ended up getting finished. Just, I mean, everything he was supposed to do, and I, I just didn't perform that. Night. I mean, it is what it is, man. It was Benny's night, you know. He He's had off nights, too. You know, he got knocked out by Ramsey Nijam, a guy that you finished in under a minute. So anyone can lose on any given night. It was his night that night. But you know what, man? Even though it was probably, in your opinion, the worst way it could have gone, you still showed some really good qualities, you know. In that first knockdown with that ground and pound, a lot of guys could have covered up and quit. You got back up, and while you were rocked, you stuffed one of his takedowns through a nice knee to the body. So, I mean, it's not like you, you know, quit or stopped trying to fight. You fought and you went on on your shield. That's what happens sometimes, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, and, I, and I know a lot of people telling me how tough I was after the fight, but I already knew I was tough. I don't have to show everybody that. <laughs> the goal is to not, not be a punching bag, you know? Yeah. So it, it, definitely, it sucks. And, I mean, it sucks, but can't change the past now just got to keep progressing and my goal still no, nothing changed I, I believe i'm going to be a world champion a lot of these guys like we've talked about before a lot of these guys literally have five and ten years more experience than me training and fighting like um i believe darius was 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 like i didn't even start doing jiu-jitsu until 2009 i believe he was already like a brown belt at that point or something like he's like these guys have been training so many of these guys have been training for years longer than me so um, it's just a lot of you know a lot of stuff I have to progress and uh, you know uh, just gotta use my time wisely and, and just maximize my my time in between fights and use use that to progress as best I can. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I got no doubts in my mind that you're gonna be back. You're a very mentally strong guy. It was just his night that night, and that's all there is to it, man. I mean, like I said, he had a very bad setback to Ramsey, and then he went on a big win streak. So I have no doubts that you'll do the same thing. Well, I appreciate it. Appreciate the faith you have in me, and yeah, I agree too. I think you know, I, I, start, I right now I have three left fights left on my UFC contract, so I plan on you know riding that out and winning all three fights and going um, eight and one on, on the you know in the UFC, and then um, uh, renewing and hopefully getting me a really good deal and you know a lot of top you know at that point I should be top ten within you know within I figure I win one to two more fights, they're going to turn around and give me another top 10 opponent. 
definitely two more fights. So then, you know, by the, by the time that third fight runs over my contract, I'll, I'll be in the top ten. So it'll, it'll all be blue skies from there for me. Oh, dude, it's all going to work out. And then once it does, you're going to look back at UFC 199 and almost look at it as a blessing in disguise. I know you might not see that right now, but that's just good. That's how it's going to go, man. Because look, UFC 100, and we can both agree that uh, Michael Bisbing's knockout loss to Dan Hendo was 10 times worse than yours. And I mean, now he's holding the belt. So it's all about perseverance, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still believe, I 100% believe in myself. I said, these guys have literally been training for years longer than me. If I had started training when I was a kid, like most of these guys, wrestling, boxing, karate, jiu-jitsu, whatever, some of these guys have literally been wrestling since they were five years old. I, in my mind, I would have already been a world champion. So, yeah, I believe that um, I, 100% I believe I'm going to be a world champion. If Michael Bisbee, Eddie Alvarez can become a world champion, I, I, there's not a doubt in my mind that I can become a world champion. I, I believe it as well. Now, let me ask you this. And, you know, obviously I think you got – a title run in you at 155 pounds but i'm curious if the thought of going to 170 has ever crossed your mind the only reason i ask you that is because i know for a fact those 15 extra pounds of water in your body and brain you would just feel so much better but with that said i know you still have you know a title run in you at 55 yeah um to me like i think i don't think people understand weight cutting as part of the pro of the sacrifice you have to make, just like you have to spar, just like you have to go run your sprints or strength and conditioning or whatever it is you have in your program. It's part of it. Um, the guys who don't cut very much weight, they, they, it's very rare that one of them will become a world champion, especially in today's era. Like when Frankie Edgar was doing it, it was, that was still even several years ago. And, I mean, it wasn't that far off, though. It was probably four years ago, even though that didn't seem like that long ago. But it, it, this sport has evolved so much even in four years. And, and there's no way in another 10 years that you're going to see dudes walking around and they're, wet, they're around their same weight class. You know, everybody, you minimum have to at least cut 20 pounds of weight. Like there's, uh, there, you know, when you, from the time you start a camp until you get down, there's no way. Um, these, these guys, they're not going to become a world. I mean, some of them do really good strictly on the fact that they've been trained for so long. Like if you look at Frank Yeager, you know, he's been fighting and training for so years. If you count his wrestling and all that combined, you know, he was a, a, a freaking D one, all American. He, he, uh, uh, it was probably wrestling since he was five years old, you know. If he was a striker, that small trying to try, trying to move up a weight, he, he would have been in trouble. There's no way he would have been a world champion if he would have started as a striker, not a grappler. That's just my opinion. Of course, a lot of people probably don't agree with that, but um, uh, yeah, 170 definitely. I think that I can uh, I can fight at 170 and be competitive at 170. And uh, my goal is to become a world champion at 155 and then defend it a few times, two or three times, and then then I'll move up and would like to move up and fight for the 170 pound belt. That's my my goals, and I have it all mapped out. And sometimes I have bumps in the road, like what happened last fight, but it's it's not stopping my path, and I'm I'm on the way. Oh, yeah, it's definitely part of the game. And, I mean, I know you're a very stubborn guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because when we've talked about, uh, you know, Poirier and Whitaker in the past, they're guys that have moved up weight classes. Now they're top five. You know, in your opinion, the same shit would happen if they fought the same guys up a weight class. But, you know, for example, dude, in your Ariel Helwani interviews, man, on Fight Week, like, dude, I, I can tell that weight cut's uh, taking its toll on you. You know what I'm saying? But you're so mentally strong that you're willing to collapse in the sauna a couple times to make the weight. So it, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, 
me as a friend telling you like, hey, maybe 170, you'd feel better there, even though I know you can still have a lot of success at 55. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, here's the thing. Yeah, I cut a little more weight than, than some of the guys, but I think all the guys cut a, a, quite a bit of weight. Um, uh, as far as uh, I think fight week, everybody is, is suffering, even though they, a lot of the guys don't look like they are. But um, uh, a lot of guys don't look like they're suffering as much because they're not probably as tall and skinny as me, and it just shows more on me than it does some other guys. But I'm not the only one suffering. I, I realize I'm not the only one suffering. And um, uh, and you're right. I do. I do think you know I am a huge Rock Waker fan, and, and Dustin Poirier and them. But but I do think that if if Robert Whitaker fought Wonder Boy at 185. He would still lose the fight unless he unless Wonder Boy gets caught. First of all, it's a matchup thing too. Unless Wonder Boy gets caught, I don't think he's going to lose anything unless he gets caught with a lucky punch, or someone can hold him down for five rounds or, or three rounds or whatever. But um, uh, they're not going to outpoint him on the feet, or they're not going to knock him out on the feet. Maybe someone lands a lucky shot, but I, I don't see it happening. But you know, so it. I, it People move up in weight, but if they, like I said, it's that match. To me, it's a matchup. I don't think Poirier could be Conor McGregor at 155 either. I think it's a matchup thing, you know, like like we've talked about before. But, um, I mean, yeah, I think I would probably feel better fighting at 170 as well. But it, I don't, when I re replenish, I use George Lockhart, you know, best nutritious MMA in my opinion. I use him when I replenish on fighting that I always feel good. I, I've never went in there and not felt good. Even last time I got caught, I, I mean, people say, oh, you, well, people who, who gain weight don't cut as much weight, take punches better. I mean, I might have got stopped, but I took about 25 shots. You know, it's not like I didn't take punches well. It's just, I mean, you can only take so many. So I haven't felt that problem. I haven't felt weak in there or anything like that. So, I mean, I, as long as my body allows me, I'm, I'm still going to do it. It's not easy, but, you know, uh, nothing's easy in, in fighting. You know, sparring's not easy sometimes. Uh, cutting weight's not easy. Running, strength conditioning's not easy. Nothing's easy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, this goes back to what I was talking about where, you know, you have such a strong belief in yourself that, I mean, you're going to see something through to the end. So, you know, it is what it is. We could probably sit here for the next couple hours and keep talking about this, but we got to break down this uh, ATL card. So let's do that, man. And we'll save uh, we'll, we'll save uh, the James Vick career talk for, a for another podcast because I know there will be another one. So first up, dude, we got Freddie Serrano. He's minus 125 in the comeback on Ryan Benoit is plus 105. Now, real quick, just for the fans listening, uh, we're James and I are going to cover most of the card, and then i got to let James go to practice, and I'll cover you know some of the early prelims. But Freddie Serrano, minus 125. The comeback on Ryan Benoit is plus 105. Now, I know you know Ryan Benoit very well. You know, fellow Texas boy, that, that kid swings some bombs, man. I mean, when he's on his game, he can knock out anyone in that weight class. The issue in this fight is Freddie Serrano. He's a Colombian Olympic wrestler. He's not very experienced in MMA. He's only 3-0. But he kind of has that mentality like Yoel where, you know, if you stand and bang with him, he'll smile at you. But uh, if he starts to feel slightly uncomfortable, his entries to his takedowns, are very impressive. The only thing is, the level of competition he's been fighting is nowhere near what Benoit's been fighting. So again, you know, this is one of those situations where it's about rising to the occasion. But I do think Serrano has the the skills to beat Benoit. But I'm gonna root for Benoit. I mean, he's your boy. I got no money invested on this fight. I'd like to see uh, your friend do well. And I think if he uses his strike and keeps the fight standing and brawls with this guy, he can win via knockout. Yeah, I um, I will be honest. I don't know a lot about Freddie Serrano. I don't know a lot about him. Um, 
but you know, Robin Oid is my boy. We're good friends, and um, we have Sam Manager and everything. And I really am hoping he wins. The dude, the dude has the, the other guy only has three fights. So, Rob, like you said, Robin Oid is a way higher level competition than he's ever ever even thought of. So hopefully that'll bring him through, and he can um, he can land a big shot and hopefully catch the guy. Um, I know that this guy was on the Freddie Serrano guy was was on Tough America. I mean Tough Latin America, right? Yeah, he uh, he actually lost his very first fight by decision to the guy that went on to win the show, Alejandro Perez. Uh huh. So yeah, they I I think Benoit can pull it off. I think Benoit should, should Benoit has a really power really big power for the weight class at one twenty five. He's an athlete, and he has a really good left hook, and I, I'm hoping he hits him with that left hook and drops him. So i got to go with my boy. Yeah, the only uh, concern I'd have in terms of laying money is the fact that Benoit did take this fight on like a week or two short notice, so we don't know what kind of shape he's in. But based on the experience, it could be a sharp play. But uh, there's something about Serrano I like, man. I like his attitude. I like his will to win. But I'm going to root for your boy Benoit here. Now next up, we got Wilson Hayes. He's minus 320, and the comeback on the newcomer, Hector Sandoval, is plus 260. Now, I understand why Wilson Hayes is minus 320. I mean, he's an unbelievable fighter. He was just about to fight DJ for the title, but there's one little uh, caveat in this fight, man, and that's the fact that this could be that classic letdown spot because I know Wilson was excited to get that title shot. I know he wanted to change his whole life. So when he got the call that, hey, DJ is not going to be showing up. You got to fight uh, Hector Sandoval now. I know that had to have been a letdown for him. So you know, you know Wilson Hayes really well. So I'm going to let you talk here in a second. I, I I need to know. You know, was he still as motivated? Was he still as up for the fight? Or was he a bit like fuck? You know, I just lost out on you know the biggest opportunity of my life. So if Wilson shows up at 100%, he's got this. I mean, his grappling chops, he's so damn strong. You saw his last fight against Dustin Ortiz. I mean, he really turned a corner in that fight. Everyone was picking Ortiz to, you know, grind out Hayes. And it was Hayes that did the grinding of Ortiz. I mean, he literally grown manned him. So Hayes at 100%, he beat Sandoval. Now Sandoval, he trains at alpha male. He swings big bombs. He even has good grappling too. But you know, what kind of shape was he in when he got the call? That's another thing I'm wondering. And you know, people bring up, oh, Sandoval lost to Willie Gates by knockout. And I'm like, look, Willie Gates and Wilson Hayes are two completely different body types and styles of fighting. You know, Willie Gates is a tall striker and Wilson Hayes is a short grappler. So, you know, I got, I got Wilson Hayes, man. But I mean, you know him personally. Is he a little bit let down by the fact that, you know, DJ pulled out? Is he going to show up at 100%? Well, I'm sure he is let down, but uh, I'm sure he, but he's, Wilson's, Wilson's definitely going to win this fight. He's also worked his entire life to get to where he's at. And I don't think he's just going to just half-ass train and throw it away uh, on a UFC debuter. I'll be the most shocked if he lost this fight. He's definitely going to win. He's my he was actually one of my jiu-jitsu coaches in the Ultimate Fighter. Super cool dude, and he, he's a hard worker. He's well, you know, anytime anybody who trains with Dominic Cruz, they have no choice but to be a hard worker. And he just he studies the game a lot, similar to Dominic. And he he just um, uh, he's very well rounded, and I think he's going to be too much for this guy. Yeah, that that should be the case. Now next up we got Jorge Masvidal. He's minus two thirty, and the comeback on Ross the Real Deal Pearson is plus one ninety. Now real quick, when you were on the Ultimate Fighter, did you get any work in with Ross Pearson? 
No, actually, I didn't. Um, he came in a couple times, and he trained a lot with uh, – I think he, tra- he trained like two or three times with Miles Jury, but him and my, at the time, Miles was already a part of Alliance before the Ultimate Fighter, so they were already teammates, and he came in as part of them then. But, no, uh, I never got to actually train with him any. So we got Jorge Masvidal taking on Pearson. The fight's at 170 pounds. And, I mean, Masvidal, I mean, how can you not love this guy? In my opinion, he's a legend of the sport. You know, back in the street fighting days, what was so cool about him is that he was technical in his street fights. You don't see guys in street fights establish, establishing jabs and, you know, putting their combinations nicely the way he does. And now he's carried that into the octagon and become one of the most well-rounded fighters in the game. The, the biggest issue is he tends to fight really close and, you know, he ends up on the wrong end of close split decisions. So that's really tough when it comes to betting. Now with Ross, you know, it's funny. Everyone always brings up how he alternates wins and losses, but that doesn't really mean shit because it could change at any point. He's plus 190 here. I, look, I think Masvidal is better everywhere than him, man. I think he's faster. I think he's more well-rounded. The ground skills. It's just uh, a matter of is Jorge going to show up here? Does he want Does he want this? Does he really give a shit? You know what I mean? That That's always been the, the deal with Masvidal. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think Masvidal is clearly, uh, you know, um, uh, just more well-rounded and better. More experienced, better. You know, I mean, Russ Prison's fought some really high-level guys as well, but Masvidal is, I mean, to me, honestly, to me, Masvidal stylistically, like you said, if he, he, fight, he tends to fight down to his competition level. And he doesn't, cause sometimes he doesn't perform to the best he could. Like, I think right now, if Masvidal and Eddie Alvarez fight, I think Masvidal smokes him. I think from a stylistic standpoint, Masvidal could beat, could, can still beat 90% of the, of the, of the lightweight division strictly on the fact that he can wrestle so well. And it's like, I don't think he gets enough credit for his wrestling. Like, so far, everyone I've ever seen Masvidal try to take down, he's put on their back. And um, uh, Andy can box. He's so well-rounded. He, he's a black belt. He's, and he's been fighting for so long. Um, I, I love Ross. You know, uh, he, he's very fun to watch and very entertaining. And, but I think that's a rough fight for him. I mean, I could be wrong, and maybe Ross comes out and, I mean, Masvidal's also got a hell of a chin, too, so it's not like he just gets stopped very often either. He ends up losing, like you said, close decisions. And um, uh, I just think that uh, that he's going to be too much. I think that he's going to be able to take Ross down anytime he wants to if he decides to go to the ground. Sometimes Masvidal doesn't use his wrestling enough and decides to slug with people and stuff. I mean, do you remember the fight when Masvidal just held 10 Mings down and 10 Mings couldn't get up? I mean, he took 10 Mings down like he was nothing when they fought. Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Him. The three rounds. Yeah, that was a statement. And I mean, in this Pearson fight, Pearson did fight about two weeks ago against Will Brooks, who, you know, he, they got him ranked in the top 10, which I think is kind of funny because he hasn't really beat anybody. But the thing is, uh, you know, he showed good takedown defense there. And, and in that last round, he beat up Will Brooks. But this isn't Will Brooks. This is a true vet of the game in Jorge Masvidal. The issue is, man, in Masvidal's last fight against Lorenz Larkin, that was the first time where I said to myself, wow, you know, maybe Masvidal is looking a little bit old, but at the same time, that was fucking Lorenz Larkin, who's, you know, an athletic specimen, and Ross is, you know, a bit slow. I think he'll feel better at 170. I gotta go with Masvidal, but I mean... You know, an upset wouldn't surprise me just due to the fact that Masvidal sometimes finds a way to lose those close split decisions, like we said. Yeah, and uh, with the fight with Larkin, I'm not sure that he necessarily looked old, I didn't think, but I think he just he's just too small. He's too small for 170, 
and but he don't want to cut that weight. I mean, I understand that you know he's he's not close to a title shot, and he's been screwed over a few decisions. So he's like, fuck it, why more? Why would I just? Why would I stay at one one fifty five and suffer cutting the weight when I'm not going to get a title fight and I keep getting screwed over on decisions? So I understand his logic, but I think that you know Larkin fought at one time at two hundred five. You know, Masvidal probably never seen two hundred five in his life. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, you know what I'm saying? I think, so I think it was a size difference. And even when even the fights uh, Masvidal won at at 170, he was undersized. He was just more skilled. Um, so I think that uh, that was the problem there. I, I just think, I mean honestly, I just don't see how Ross wins this fight. Honestly, I just don't. I think I think Masvidal takes him down anytime he wants to take him down, and he, I think he he can outstrike him and. I just think that, you know, I think, I don't think he can, I don't know if he's going to finish Ross. Ross, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think he, he wins the decision. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the only way Masvidal can lose this fight is if he does what he normally does, which is come out super strong that first round, then coast the next two rounds. But, you know, if he's got that under control and he goes out there and does his thing, he should win this fight. Now, next up, man, we got Nikita Krylov. He's minus 155, and the comeback on Ed Short Fuse Herman is plus 135. Now, dude, I've been high on Krylov a lot. He's been a money machine for me. Every single time he fights, unless he's fighting fucking Soa Pulele, who, you know, has got a 50-pound weight advantage over him, he's been cashing for me. And, uh, you know, I actually expected the line to be a lot higher. I thought it was going to be more towards the minus 250 range, and it's minus 155. So I don't fault anyone for playing it straight. The thing is... You know, he's coming over to the States and, you know, that trip over from uh, the Ukraine, it's got to be no joke. I've never been to the Ukraine, but I'd assume it's a 12 to 15 hour flight. So we don't know if he's adjusted well. Now with Ed Herman, I believe you and I have spoken about this in the past. You know, it was one of those cases where he got, you know, a little bit too lazy to make a middleweight. So he went up to 205. It, it, it wasn't a situation where the cuts were getting too hard. It was one of those situations where, you know, he wanted to eat a little more, right? So he went up to 205 and he knocked out Tim Bosch. Now he's got Krylov, who's a natural 205er. And I mean, Krylov's an absolute monster. And it's funny, he's a Kyokushin uh, master of sport, I think that's what they call it, but he's been winning his fights via submission, and the submissions aren't even the most, uh, you know, technical jiu-jitsu you've ever seen. It's almost like he's kind of doing a strong arm, a strongman moves there. You know, the way he chokes dudes, they almost look like cranks. It's kind of interesting with this guy. Yeah, um, uh, I think Ed Herman can compete with, you know what? What, what is Krylov ranked right now? Is he ranked in the top ten? Yeah, twenty. Yeah, he should be. And I think his UFC record is like five and two or something. He's lost to OSP, right? Yeah, OSP, and he lost to Soa Pulele in his UFC debut, where he weighed in yeah. at two hundred eighteen pounds, and Soa weighed in at two hundred sixty-five pounds. Got you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, uh, Ed Herman. You know the thing with him is 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 when you have a wrestling like these guys have D one college wrestling backgrounds or even any college JUCO whatever. When you wrestled in college, it, it allows you to move up easier and, and contend a little better because you can still be uh, quick and still land hands. Even though Ed Herman's more of a grappler, obviously, but it's 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 hard if you don't have the wrestling background to be moving up in weight classes, just because you you get bullied, you know. But that being said, I think that Ed, Ed Herman could probably deal with it. And I don't think he's going to get submitted by Krylov. But I think that he, I think that he's going to end up losing a decision or getting caught. Um, uh, 
like you said, he is a he's a he's a karate style, you know, um, kickboxer guy, and he's big enough that he should be able to shut Ed Herman's uh, uh, takedowns, shut them down, and and win a decision or catch him. So I'm gonna pick Karloff. Yeah, he's got a big size advantage in this fight. The only thing I would be concerned about if I were to place a wager on Krylov is Ed Herman's veteran savvy. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. He, he's got a lot of experience, but uh, like you said, he, he's but he's been in he's been in some wars as well. So you know he's been he's been on the receiving end of some stuff too. Um, and like you said, he's undersized, man. Well, it's, you know, size. People always say size don't matter. When it when it's equal skill level, it does. If the smaller guy is more skilled, then the no size doesn't matter. But when both guys have equal skill and one's bigger, that's an advantage. So uh, I'm going to go with the bigger guy. Yep, I'm going to complete that and agree with you here. Now next up, we got Eric Goito Perez. He's minus 125, and the comeback on Francisco Cisco Rivera is plus 105. Now both these guys are super exciting to watch. You know, they're both brawlers. The, the thing is, with Cisco Rivera... He's the kind of guy that I always look to fade. I always look to bet against him because, you know, first of all, it's been very profitable. But second of all, he's one of these guys that will he'll drop you and then he'll help you back up and high-five you and hug you and try to be your friend. And that, that's not the kind of shit I'm trying to look for when I'm putting my money on the line, you know. I want a guy that if he drops you, he's going to try to finish you. And with Eric Perez... You know, he used to just be uh, your prototypical Mexican brawler, but then he moved out to Alliance, and dude, they, they got him on that game plan shit now because in that last fight against Lapalus, you know, he dropped the first round, then he goes out there and he grinds out the second and third round. That, to me, was a big improvement in his fight IQ, in his skills, and just his will to win, whereas Cisco went over to uh, England to fight Brad Pickett. He drops him in the first round, then he high-fives him when Pickett gets back up, then he coasts the next two rounds and loses the decision so i always bet against francisco rivera i'll be betting against him here and i i got eric goyito perez for this one <laughs> uh you said yeah first off it's been more it's been profitable <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> it's yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going with you i'm picking perez as well um, um I, i'm not that high on uh francisco either i think that he's um he's well-rounded but nothing special um and I think uh, Perez is—he's stronger, you know. He's more mentally tough, and he's—he's uh, he's younger too, isn't he? Oh yeah, he's definitely—he's almost uh, ten years younger, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought I was thinking at least five years younger. So yeah, I think I think he should win. Um, either probably probably decision, but I think he's going to win. Yeah, probably a decision too, but honestly, a finish wouldn't surprise me just because you know how it gets with these aging competitors, but at the same time, if Cisco's smart, which, you know, he's shown in the past that he isn't very smart, but if he's smart, he's got to know, he's got to make a statement here, but Eric Goito, uh, you know, it's that time in his career now where he's making big improvements, so I got to go with him. Now, next up, we got probably my favorite fighter of all time, Matt the Immortal Brown. He's minus 325. The comeback on Jake Ellenberger is plus 265. And, you know, there's something about this fight that seems too good to be true. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, like, doesn't it just seem like Matt Brown is going to go out there and wilt this guy and just beat his ass? But, you know, there's no, it's never too good to be true in MMA. So, you know, I don't do parlays anyway. So it's not like I'd be parlaying a minus 325 Matt Brown. But to call it a lock... You can't call it a lock, man. You know, Ellenberger's got a puncher's chance, but 
it, you know, the long-term battle, Matt Brown's going to win all day. It's just a matter of not getting caught with a big punch, you know, not uh, getting grinded out with the with the takedowns. But, you know, I don't see that happening. I think uh, Ellenberger has been taking his fair share of whoopings down at King's MMA, and uh, Matt Brown's going to put the, the nail in the coffin. Yeah, actually, you know, I, and I love Matt Brown. I'm a huge Matt Brown fan also. I, I honestly think this fight is way closer than people think because I think what Matt Brown has struggled with in the past is the same thing Carlos Condon has struggled with in the past is guy when like when Johnny Hendricks fought both of them and he held them down. And I, I think that Ellenberger can take him down multiple times. I, Ellenberger has – I remember when Ellenberger fought um, – who did he fight? Roy McDonald, he blast doubled him and put him down. You know, he's taken down. He, uh, he's shown that he is a high-level, really good MMA wrestler. I mean, he, he wrestled in college as well, obviously, but he showed that he could actually put people on their back. Now, so, you know, you know, like when he fought Kelvin, it didn't go good for him. I think Kelvin scrambled out and took his back and choked him out. But, and, and obviously, if you, you put both of them's heart together, Matt Brown blows him out the window. You know, he's got twice as much heart as, as in my opinion, as Ellenberger does. But Ellenberger has that fast twitch muscle. He's really explosive and athletic. And he can wrestle very well, so I think he actually, I actually think he has a chance to win this fight. So I think it either goes one of two ways: either Matt Brown just comes out there and and puts the dog on him and just just mops the floor with him, or or Jake Ellenberger, you know, could potentially could, could potentially grind, try to grind him out and win a decision on the ground if he can stuff you know stuff the submission game. I don't, I don't, I I, I do think that Ellenberger can't put him on his back. I do believe that for sure. Yeah, I believe he can take him down as well. It's just a matter of can Matt get up and, you know, do what Matt Brown does. It's funny, I spoke to Matt Brown, and uh, you know how there's always been questions about Jake's mental game? And so I asked Matt what he thought about that, and he's like, you know, I don't even think it's about the mental game, you know? Maybe he's just not that good. <laughs> that's that's what Matt Brown said to me. So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Jake's just not that good. But here's the thing. Jake can crack, you know, even in these fights that he's losing, you know, he dropped Wonderboy, he wobbled yeah. Tarek Safadine, so he still has that power, man, it's just, you know, he doesn't follow through, it's almost like we need to put James Vick's mentality in Jake Ellenberger's fucking physical attributes, do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. It's uh, like I said, it, if you you compare Matt Brown and he, versus Jake Ellenberger in the heart department, th it's not even close. Or mental strength, I agree. He has showed mental lapses. I mean, it's you know, I guess it's not. Some people might think it's wrong for me to criticize other fighters in that, but I think a lot of people, other people, have that same opinion that I have about it. Um, skill level wise, he's one of the best athletes in the UFC. He's one of the most well rounded. Like realistically, dudes like that should be should be world champions. You know, he's a high level. He was a he was a good college wrestler. You know, pretty high level. You know, college wrestler. I think he walked on. Didn't even wrestle in high school. I think he walked on to a college and wrestled for four years. You know, and, and ended up doing really good. You know, and he's been training for years. Been fighting for a long time. Has has beat a lot of high. You know, if I have to for this show for the podcast, I'm gonna I'm going with Matt Brown. But with the odds being that good, I might I may throw a small twenty five or fifty dollar bet on, on, on Jake Ellenberger. Yeah, I mean, it's plus 265, so I don't blame you. But uh, for this one, I'm going to be a fan about it and uh, go with Matt Brown, man. Just because, I mean, it's Matt fucking Brown. You know what I'm saying, dude? Yeah, I want him to win. Oh, trust me, I, I always want Matt Brown to win. I always want him to win. <laughs> 
Yeah, the odds are just, you know, they're, they're a little out there. I agree with that for sure. But uh, may the best man win, and hopefully the best man is Matt Brown. Now, next up, dude, we got Justin Scoggins. He's minus 245, and the comeback on Ian McCullough is plus 205. Now, real quick, shout out to James Vick for uh, telling me to, to play that Justin Scoggins plus 250 when he fought Ray Borg. You know, we cashed that one. And now he's... The line is where it should be. Now he's the minus 245 favorite against Ian McCall. Now McCall's been talking retirement. McCall's been saying shit like, if I get into a bad spot, I'm going to quit. You know, he, he, does, he doesn't want to be there, man. And McCall is actually a really cool dude. I like him. He's nice. But, you know, when we pick these fights, it has nothing to do with who we like. And I, Scoggins is cool, too. But, dude, Scoggins' last fight, he looked like a fucking world champion. And I think he could be the guy to dethrone Mighty Mouse. I know that sounds fucking stupid and people are going to give me shit for that but listen man no one's invincible in this sport you saw bisbing versus rockold anyone can lose on any given night on this fight specifically i think scoggins is going to put on a show obviously you can't play that minus 245 straight so what i'm waiting for is the points handicap the point spread so basically what i need scoggins to do if if this prop is plus money what I need Scoggins to do is either get 130.27 on the judges' scorecard so he can get 130.27 then win the other two 29.28 or finish Ian McCall. If he does either of those, the points handicap will cash. And if that prop is plus money, I'll be playing it because I do believe Justin Scoggins is going to make a statement on Saturday night in ATL. How did Scoggins last fight, um, uh, uh, did he get a finish or was it just a decision? It was like a 30-26. Who, who was it that he fought last fight? Ray, that Ray Borg was his last fight? Yep. Oh, so he hasn't fought since. And how long? That's been like almost a year ago, hasn't it? Nah, nah. That was back in like January, February or so. Okay, got you, got you. Yeah, I knew stylistically that, that Ray Borg was a mad, bad matchup for him because Ray Borg does, is Scoggins is fast twitch. He's athletic. He's a college wrestler. And Ray Borg's really just a, a really good jiu-jitsu guy. Um, uh, so I, I really, you know, knew that. I, I think that Ian McCall, um, I guess he's, you know, he's going to be undersized. You know, Scoggins is not necessarily bit, that much bigger, though. But um, uh, how much how much taller is Scoggins than, than Ian McCall? Probably a couple inches, maybe? Yeah, he's like two inches taller. Yeah, I think that, um, uh, you know, Scoggins is young. He's very young. And I 100% agree with you about Scoggins being a world champion. I, I totally think he can become a world champion, just like I believe Wonder Boy is going to become a world champion. Yep. And I I believe that a few fights ago. Yeah. I, anytime these karate guys, here's the thing with these karate guys, you know, I guess a lot of people have made fun of karate. And I mean, I recently actually added, started adding karate into my arsenal and, and learning some things. But a lot of these guys, here's the thing, when you're doing moves that no one else knows, or no one else is doing you that gives you an advantage these guys have an advantage just like horiguchi besides besides um mighty mouse he's gonna smoke a lot of guys you know he's gonna smoke a lot of guys horiguchi these karate guys because they're they're coming with a style that other people don't know that's the, that's the thing and then you have a dude like scoggins who's been wrestling since he was like seven and doing karate with wonder boys you know he, he he was a student of wonder boy's father for years so um yeah, I think I'm definitely going to, you know, take the favorite in this. I think Scoggins is going to win. I think that um, – I don't know if he can finish Ian McCall. I don't know if he's going to finish him. Uh, Ian McCall is a, is a good wrestler, but, you know, Scoggins should be able to, you know, not get taken down and should just be able to outpoint him on the feet. And um, I think he wins a good decision and moves on to better things. 
Yeah, I think he's going to put on a show, man. And, you know, we also haven't seen Ian McCall since January 2015, and that wasn't his best showing either. So, you know, I, I honestly think uh, McCall's an aging competitor on his way out of the game. And like you mentioned about Scoggins being a future world champion, this is just wrong place, wrong time for McCall, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be a showcase for Scoggins, man. Who, who was Ian McCall's last fight? Uh, he fought John Lineker in January 2015. Got you. And that was when Lineker missed weight, huh? Yeah, Lineker could never make that 125 mark. But, hey, that's another example of a dude going up in weight and being fucking amazing. Yeah, but was, was he not amazing already at the weight class he was at? He was, but he could never make the weight is the thing like he, he he would always miss weight but now but if you can't make the weight then yeah you have you, you have no choice but to move up it don't matter if you want to or not there's no options like um johnny Hendricks probably this next fight is probably they're probably going to make him move up it's unlikely they, they're going to let him stay it's possible but yeah they're probably going to make him move up. Uh, what i'm trying to say is when um when Lineker fought, you know, a top contender such as Ali Bagautinov, and he actually made the weight, you know, he clearly lost the fight, and he just looked like, you know, he had a lot in him for that first round, but then after that, he didn't have much. But now he fights the number five guy up a weight class in Michael McDonald, and no one's ever knocked out Michael McDonald. I mean, you don't, you don't fucking stand and bang with Michael McDonald, and Lineker knocked him out cold. Yeah, but like you said, he looked good in the first round. Guess what? What if that fight would have went past the first round? True. He's, he's been sleeping fools, you know what I'm saying, because he has power. It's a style thing, man. I, that's what I really believe. I, I just think that I – mean, I'm not saying that, you know, if everyone walked around it the same way, if everyone walked, walked around it, it would be a, a, a fair playing field. But to me, when you cut – oh, yeah. No, I said when you cut weight and you're, and you're, in, and you're a bigger guy – when you replenish it, if you replenish the right way, it is an advantage. I mean, a lot of dudes. Now, there's other guys, like you said, that get guys that have come up, and they can just fight out, whether it be they have power in their hands, they have, you know, they have wrestling backgrounds. They, there's a lot of circumstances play into changing weight classes besides just, just not cutting as much weight. I, I really believe that. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like you and I should have a whole hour podcast just talking about that kind of thing, man. But uh, we got to talk about this co-main event. And we got Rose Namajunas, who's minus 230. And the comeback on Karolina Kowalkiewicz is plus 190. Now, I took Karolina when she was plus 210 because, look, man, you know, Rose Namajunas, another fighter that, you know, I respect her. But I look to fade her also because I think it's a she's a very, very hyped fighter, you know. There's so much hype around her, man. It's crazy. And, and I thought she lost her last fight to Tisha Torres. I thought I cashed that plus two or plus 250, whatever it was, on Tisha. And the judges didn't see it my way, which is fine. But now we got a Carolina, who's a very good point fighter, which is what we need to take on someone like Rose. You know, last week when uh, you and I cashed that plus 300 on Valentina Shevchenko, it's because we thought that, look, when Holly does her cute little sidekicks, uh, a fucking 17-time Muay Thai world champion can counter with a nice 2-3 leg kick. And in this situation, you know, Carolina isn't a multiple-time Muay Thai world champion. However, she does have that hit-and-run style, that point-fighting style. And when Rose Namajunas comes in with her nice little sidekicks, that's where Carolina can close the distance and uh, score some points. So, you know, at the plus 210 I got it at, man, I had to take it, and I took that shot. Yeah, that that's a good bet, especially at those odds. What, what the odds have changed now, or what? Yeah, it dropped twenty cents. It's plus one ninety now. Got you, got you. Um, 
I think that if it goes to a close decision, you know, a lot. It's it sucks to say this. I mean, it, it, but it, it, people might agree, but it's true. If it gets if it goes close, Rose is not going to lose a decision. You know, like you said, she has, she has crazy hype behind her. A lot of these guys um, and girls. They, they they really come in, and we've talked about this before too. And and you know it, it's offended me a little bit. You know, as far as a lot of these guys, these guys and girls, they get they they just get hyped up by the UFC, and people say, oh, well, this person is marketable. This person is not as marketable. The reason why a lot of these people are are marketable is because the UFC is pushing them, making them marketable. Because if if they didn't have all the push behind them, they they, they didn't just come popping out of nowhere. You know, they, it wasn't like that. You know, but. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know a lot enough about uh, Rose's opponents to to um, to bet against Rose on this one. I just don't. I don't know. Now, like you said, with those odds, though, I'm probably going to take that chance too. I'm probably going to throw like a small twenty five dollar bet, fifty dollar bet uh, on her because of the odds. But I don't really know enough about her to uh, to to bet against Rose. But Rose is well rounded. Rose has a really good ground game. And I just, I mean, I do, and I do think that the, you know, the divisions, you know, some of the divisions in the UFC aren't as deep as others, and that's why a lot of these people get this hype and they get pushed up to the court, they get pushed up too soon, and that's what I'm hoping, you know, like we were talking about with Scoggins and how, you know, he could be a world champion. I'm hoping he doesn't get moved up too soon because the division just really isn't that deep at 125, and I hope so. I hope he, you know, he gets a little more time, you know, another like year and a half to two years before he fights Mighty Mouse. But definitely another year and a half. But um, uh, maybe he thinks otherwise. Maybe he thinks he's ready now. I'm, you know, that's just my opinion. But I think he'll 100% be ready within that time frame. And I think a lot of these 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 divisions and so even the women's divisions, you know, they're not that deep. So a lot of the guys and girl, or a lot of the girls, they get moved up too soon. And you know, I think I think Rose is. I think she's. I think she's good. I don't think she's ready for Johanna unless she can go in there and, and literally maybe get a takedown or try to pull guard or something and and catch a submission because she's not she's not going to outstrike her. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I just don't know enough about the other girl to bet against uh, bet against Rose really. Yeah, see, a lot of people are telling me that Rose is going to submit her, but the way I see the styles matching up is well, Rose isn't known for you know a blast double or a single leg. The way she submits people is. People take her down, and then she has a very nice Kimura sweep, and she'll tap you out like that, or she'll do a flying armbar. You know, she that that that's uh, how Rose submits people. I don't think that shit's gonna happen here because Carolina, she's a mover. You know, she she's a hit, she's a hit and run kind of fighter. She won't be there to you know to get taken down, and I doubt she'll initiate the takedowns herself. That's why, stylistically thinking, I just think it, it, it favors her. But, I mean, you know, we'll have to tune in. That's that's why we watch the fights, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's like we talked about with the Holly Holm uh, situation the other day. We, we, we picked uh, uh, Valentino to win, uh, to win because, first of all, the odds were too good. Like, if they were even, I might not take that chance. But it's it, the thing with with that that matchup is is they're both counter punchers, and every time Holly Holm has been forced to take the lead, she hasn't looked as good. She's looked like an average MMA fighter versus a world class striker. Um, she uh, obviously is a world class striker, better than credentials than anybody in the UFC, guy or girl. But she um, uh, she's a she's a counter puncher. Like her first two fights in the UFC, she has a 
uh, uh, decently close. I mean, she won the fight, but competitive fight with Raquel Pennington, who's way smaller than her and not even half the striker she's ever been. But anytime Holly Holm has been forced to take the lead and be the aggressive fighter, she just doesn't look as good. And that's what um, Valentina made her do is she, she stayed off in counterpunch. And it's a stylistic thing, just like I think of Valentina. I, I posted something about this on Twitter the other day, and some guy was like acting like he, he knew what he was talking about. I was like, whatever. <laughs> but it's true. Like, if Valentino fought Ronda Rousey, she'd be in trouble because she's flat-footed. And, and I think that Ronda would be able to take her down. Ronda didn't take Holly Holm down because Holly Holm's a mover. It's a stylistic matchup. That's why, that's why you see the belt changing so much is, is the, the styles. I'm just like, you know, still, if Ronda fought Misha, I think she's going to win again. I think she's going to win 90% of the time they fight. Um, I think that, you know, stylist, unless she just doesn't, you know, fight for a year and a half, and then unless she's not training right now and just doesn't do any, you know, any of that. But Valentina, you know, she 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 stylistically was a, was a bad matchup for for, uh, for uh, Holly Holm. And if, <laughs> if, uh, if, What's the what's the girl fighting Rose again? I, I, I keep these names. These similar names are confusing me. <laughs> Carolina. Car- Carolina. Okay, yeah. If she if she moves and you know stays on the outside, like you said, Rose ain't gonna. It's highly unlikely Rose is shooting a blast double. She may try like a body lock takedown, but she's not necessarily an offensive takedown person. So um, if the girl tries to stand with her, there's a good chance she could outpoint her. It's, I mean, it's, it's always possible. Rose throws a lot of volume. It is hard to beat a volume striker. You know, she throws a lot of volume, so that's um, definitely something the girl's going to have to stay, you know, stay out of the way of. But I, I don't know enough about her, so I'm still going to pick Rose, but I'm probably going to take that little small chance. Definitely. Now, did you, uh, did you take a, a shot on uh, Amanda Nunes at plus 265 the other week? Yep, I sure did. And I, I won fifty, or I bet fifty, and I won whatever whatever the payout was. There you go, man. Me too. That was a that was a nice night. It, it saved me from that Frankie Edgar loss, which I did not expect. I mean, Jose Aldo, he fought so damn smart. He's like, I'm gonna take off the first three minutes of every round, and then I'm just gonna turn <laughs> it up in the last two. You know? <laughs> yeah, I I picked Aldo to win. I thought Aldo. I think although I think it's it's a styles make fights and again and and although it's stylistically a horrible matchup for Frankie Edgar because he's the one guy in the division that's that good of a striker that he can't take down. I think Frank Edgar has a way better chance to beat Conor McGregor than he does Aldo because he could potentially get Conor McGregor down. He's never going to put Aldo on his back anytime he fights him. He's never going to, and that's why he's never going to beat. He's never going to beat Jose Aldo. Like I think if they want, if they fought. Like I said, you know, it's hard to beat the same person over and over and over and over again. But if you, if, if, uh, Jose Aldo is going to win eighty percent of the time they fight because stylistically he's never going to get put on his back, and he's he's the power striker. He he throws hard kicks, he throws hard punches. He and stylistically, that's a, Aldo is a horrible matchup for him. Yeah, and it's funny the adjustment he made you know, from the first fight to the second was, you know, in the first fight, he threw a ton of leg kicks, and that's where Frankie was able to capitalize and maybe get a takedown here or there. Here, he didn't throw any takedown, uh, excuse me, he didn't throw any leg kicks at all until maybe the last 10 seconds of one of the later rounds. Yeah, and um, even when, in the first fight, when he caught those leg kicks, Jose Aldo would be back to, if he did get him down, Jose Aldo would be back to his feet in two seconds. Like, he's so hard to take down and hold down. Like, you cannot go into a fight and fight Jose Aldo depending on how you're going to win is taking is mixing in takedowns. 
because he's not worried about him. He and he's, he's one of the few guys I've ever seen that doesn't have a wrestling background that can stand flat-footed in front of people and shut everything down. Like, John Jones does that, but John Jones was also a wrestler. You know, but Jose Aldo can stand flat-footed right in front of someone and, and defend all their takedowns. It's crazy, man. Yeah, it is. And I'm curious to see if uh, him and Connor ever fight again. But if they don't, Max Holloway will be your new featherweight champion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I love Max Holloway. Um fought on the same card with him a few times. We're pretty good boys. Ran into him when I, when I was in Hawaii. Me and my girl were in Hawaii and talked to him there for a little bit. Um, uh, Jose Aldo's a bad matchup for him. I think... You think so? Matt, I think Jose Aldo's still the best fighter in the world. I mean, he was... You gotta admit, I mean, unless unless he's just, you know, slowly fading away from all the the wars he's been in and a lot of fights he's had. Even a lot of the wars Jose Aldo's been in, a lot of the fights, he didn't take a lot of damage. Some of them he did. The last few, he's taken damage, you know. But even this last one, he didn't take no damage. Um, he fought um, uh, tons of guys and didn't take any damage even though he would go five rounds with him, you know, Korean zombie didn't take any damage when he fought Hominick, even though that last time he got put on his back from a stand-up standpoint, he wouldn't get tagged on the feet. Jose Aldo. I mean, I don't know how much, how many gym wars he's had. They'll probably a lot. A lot. They are they, very hard, but as far as competition wise, he hasn't taken a lot of damage in fights. He's just, he's so athletic, but he, but he's technical as well. He, he, he fights with his hands up, you know, he, he's so explosive and he just, he just freaking, I still think that Jose Aldo beats Chad Mendez in a rematch. I think he beats um, Frankie Edgar. I think I think he beats Holloway. Honestly, I think I think Jose Aldo is the man still. Well, I, I think McGregor, go ahead. McGregor, you know, McGregor has a weird style for him. You know, McGregor. Once again, it's like McGregor. I mean, these karate style guys. Even though McGregor's a boxer as well, these karate style guys they have an advantage because they're doing moves that other people don't do, and that's that's the that's the edge they have. It's like when Hoyce Gracie came in the UFC in the nineties. And he's doing, he's doing, well, all the styles are different, but still, he's doing shit that nobody else knows how to do. And so you have the advantage. Anytime that you're, you're doing something other people don't know how to do, you're going to have an advantage. That's one McGregor's one advantage. And the fact he's a South, you know, it's several things play involved as well. You know, South Pauls are harder to fight. You know, being a South Paul takes away, is going to take away even in a rematch with, with, with uh, Aldo, him being South Paul is going to take away a lot of, a lot of the leg kicking game of Jose Aldo because it's harder to kick the leg, the southpaw in the legs. Yeah, you know, something that's interesting to me about the matchup with Max Holloway and Jose Aldo is that, you know, Jose's never fought against a tall, rangy striker, a guy that's consistently switching stances, giving him different looks like that. So I honestly think it's a very intriguing style clash, man. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the more, the more. Jose Aldo fights Southpaw. I mean, uh, the more uh, uh, Holloway stays Southpaw, the better chance he's going to have because he don't have to worry about it. It's just like when when, uh, when Barboza fought Michael Johnson and, and everyone thought Barboza was going to smoke when Michael Johnson walked down because Michael uh, uh, Barboza didn't have the leg kick in his arsenal because you can't you can't throw too many inside leg kicks on a Southpaw. That all they got to do is turn the knee in one time and check it, and, and your foot's broke. Oh yeah, and and it's so hard to do. Uh, to throw that opposite leg like that, unless unless you're just super fast. I mean, Jose Aldo is faster, obviously, but but and Barboza is too. But Michael Johnson is also very quick. You know, it's a st- stylistic matchup. I think that the more he stands southpaw, the better chance he has. You know, uh, Max Holloway will have to win that fight, and it's going to be a stand-up fight. And you know, Holloway has conditioning for days. It's definitely a close fight, but I think I, I still think Jose Aldo would win at this point. 
Yeah, and actually that's, uh, that southpaw thing that you mentioned, how, you know, it's hard for an orthodox guy to get the leg kicks off on the southpaw. That was one of the reasons I picked Conor McGregor against Jose Aldo. But we got to talk about this ATL main event. We got ruthless Robbie Lawler. He's minus 200. The comeback on Tyron T. Wood Woodley is plus 170. Now, you know, we're going to break down the styles here in a sec, but let's talk about, uh, you know, deserved and earned and shit like that. I know those are two words that should never be used, you know, in the fight game because, you know, who gives a fuck if he really earned it or deserved it? Because if he goes out there and knocks out Robbie Lawler, then hey, he's the champ, right? So fuck it. It is what it is. But, you know, when you haven't fought since January 2015 and your last win was, you know, a, a fight that everyone thought you lost... And it was against Kelvin Gastelum, who's a great fighter. I, I recently cashed him as a dog against Johnny. But, you know, in that fight with Kelvin and T-Wood, Kelvin, you know, he, uh, he was hospitalized. He missed weight by 10 pounds. He had the flu. He was in the worst shape of his life. And he still almost beat Woodley by split decision. So, you know, but this is a different matchup. This is Robbie Lawler. Robbie's been in so many back-to-back five-round wars that eventually it's going to catch up to him. I'm just hoping that, you know, he can get this one behind him and let Wonderboy be the guy to take the belt from him. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, I Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of Woodley's. I mean, I I, I know him. You know, I, I've, I've met him a few times. He's a cool dude and everything. But from his, I'm not a huge fan of his fighting because I – He's a hot and cold fighter. He's one of those guys that he's uh, his physical. He's gotten so far on physical ability. Not saying he doesn't work hard. Not saying he, you know, he's he he's uh, he's not a great fighter because obviously he's a higher level fighter than me. He's fighting for a world title, but at the same time, he's one of those guys who also has been wrestling his entire life, and he's and his skill set is based upon his physical attributes of being. It's not necessarily a technical thing with his striking, it's just an explosive athletic thing. And he showed signs where he, where he just wouldn't, wouldn't put the gas, you know, put the foot on the gas. Like remember when he lost to Jake Shields? Oh yeah. And real quick, before you continue, he legitimately lost that fight. A lot of people try to act like that was a robbery. That was not a robbery. And it's funny because Jake Shields legit outstruck Tyron Woodley. Yeah, and Jake Shields, and, or they would just get in, cage, in a cage battle. Jake Shields is not athletic enough to take him down. So Jake Shields just grinded him out, and Woodley wouldn't turn the gas up. And he, you know, um, unless the only the only thing the only way I see him winning this fight is is him coming out like he did Jay Iran and just just landing the big bomb and dropping him. You know, which is which is possible. It's uh, I mean, there's, to me, there's a lot of guys that wouldn't be where they were if because you know you could say that, but it's a big word. You know, if if they didn't have the attributes they had, like I mean, I think Anthony Johnson wouldn't be where he's at if if he if he didn't have such one hitter quarter knockout power. Like I think there's there's ten guys in the division that have more heart than him and that would would be farther along than him. But it, like you said, you can't say if all the time because that's the scenario, you know. I think that I'm picking Robbie Lawler. I hope Robbie Lawler wins. Um, Woodley's very well rounded, very well skilled. You know, high level college wrestler. He's not going to get submitted on the ground. He's so athletic and so explosive and got one hit knockout power. He can knock he can knock out anybody he touches on the chin. Um, but if it comes down to a decision in a, in a, a, a competitive fight like that, he's not going to win a decision. He's, he's not going to outground Robbie Lawler. He's not a volume striker. So that's, that's against him. You know, is uh Woodley's not a volume striker either. So him just planning on 
just coming out and, and really the best thing he can hope for is to land the bomb and, and stop Robert Miller because I don't see him winning a decision and I don't see him I don't see him I don't see him really going five rounds definitely not um, competitively like the last couple I think he will lose you know on points wise you know he may stay away and not take a lot of damage because he's you know he's been up to do that but he's not going to be though if they go to uh, to a decision it's not going to be no split decision. Yeah, T-Wood ain't winning this long-term battle at all. He's got, you know, an eight-minute chance to land that one big shot. But if you watch his fights, I mean, he backs himself up into the cage because he purposely wants to lure you in so he can counter with that big bomb that you were talking about. And, you know, I think Robbie's team, you know, he's got uh, film watchers. He's got his coaches scouting it out. They, they know what to expect, man. And if you've noticed Robbie's last two fights... His footwork has gotten so much better. You know, you watch his fight with Johnny Hendricks, and, you know, he's completely flat-footed. The first time they fought, he's completely flat-footed. They're trading in the pocket. They're smiling at each other, being cute. Well, this is a completely different Robbie Lawler now. Now, I mean, like I said, his footwork, he's bouncing in and out, and his game plans have gotten better. He's just really become a championship-level fighter, hence why he's holding that welterweight belt. And with T-Wood... Yes, that explosiveness, we got to look out for it. Honestly, I don't think he's going to sniff a takedown because, look, you saw that fucking sprawl Robbie had against Rory. Now, I know Rory, you know, doesn't have the wrestling credentials that T-Wood has, but fuck it. Rory took down T-Wood when they fought. You know, he's got better MMA takedowns than T-Wood does. T-Wood just got that blast double. And, yeah, back in strike force, dudes took down Robbie. But that was at 185 pounds. And Robbie, you know, he'd fall asleep at press conferences. It wasn't the same guy. The guy we see, yeah. to see today is a focus, just he, – he's a killer. He's a ruthless animal. And I think that ruthless animal is going to be on cage Saturday night in Atlanta, Georgia. And he's going to knock out T-Wood in the third or fourth round. Yeah, um, I, I hope so. I love Robbie Lawler. I mean, he's 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 one of the one of the pioneers of the sport for sure. And um, just the longevity he's had in the career is so in his career is so impressive. He's fought top level guys, and he's lost some. He's won some, but he's he's stayed consistent and become a world champion. And like I said, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Woodley's uh, fighting style. I think that he just. He either lands the bomb or he loses, you know, he's going to lose the decision. I think that should Woodley win this fight, I think there's multiple people in the division that can still beat him. Um, Robbie Long is very hard to take down. You saw how, how, how he did with Johnny Hendricks a few times too. You know, he, he shut a lot of those takedowns down and he was able to get back to his feet. Even, you know, Johnny couldn't hold him down very long. You know, I think maybe like a minute at a time was the most he ever did. And Johnny's, probably one of the highest you know level wrestlers in the whole whole ufc yeah and but, that, that sorry sorry to interrupt that sprawl he showed against rory that might be the single best sprawl i've ever seen in mma better than gsp i mean i was just like dude i mean it was straight nuts to the forehead you know what i'm saying yeah and um another thing uh woodley likes to do besides his throw his you know overhand right and explosive punches is he likes to leg kick and then once again Robbie Lawler's southpaw so it's going to be hard for him to do um so I think Robbie Lawler uh weathers a first round but here's the thing with with Woodley there's never never really a storm because he's not a volume striker so it's either you get caught or you don't and I think that hopefully he doesn't get caught the first round and I'm going to pick him to to uh either get a stoppage in the late late you know fourth round or so or when it when a unanimous decision
Now, for you as a fighter, I mean, how inspirational are guys like Robbie Lawler and Michael Bisbing, you know, to have every setback imaginable, and now they're they're wearing that UFC belt? Yeah, it's it's a huge inspiration. Um, the fact that they were just persistent, and, and a lot of these guys, like I don't think Robbie Lawler or Michael Bisbing are, are any more athletic than me, any more physically gifted than me. They've just been training longer, and they've been persistent, and they have they've had experience at the top levels, and they just they've stuck stood it stood it out where others others have broke. And even though they've lost, they they've continued to come back, and they haven't you know they they clearly never gave up belief in themselves. And now they're world champions, so it's it's definitely motivational for me, sure. Yeah, and a guy like Bisbing, I mean, it's not like he just had one setback. I mean, the Hendo loss, the Vitor loss, the fucking first Luke Rockhold loss, and he still said, my dream is to be the world champion. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And now I believe he's 38 years old holding that belt, and he just beat the young, you know, athletic stud. Yeah, for sure, and, and and it was just like you said, anything can happen on any given night. In a rematch, I think Rockhold smokes him, you know. But I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But uh, look at Robbie Lawler; he lost four or five fights in strike force at one point. Yep. And, and then comes back, drops one one class, and comes back and becomes a world champion. Um, I think you know so much of the stuff is individual based. You know, the, it's not the skill of the man; it's the will of the man, like you say. And and these people have strong wills and. Each individual, you know, the ones that have that have have made it to world championships down to top level. Look at Orlovsky. You know, Orlovsky yeah. came back and got third, third in the world after he got slept five times in a row in, in strike force. You know, it's it's you know the persi- persistency is is something that 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 that, that is really hard to to, to to match. If you're persistent and, and just keep going, it, it's hard to beat someone who who won't give up. You know. It's not the skill of the man, it's the will of the man. I like that, my friend. Now, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So first, what is the fight to watch for UFC ATL, James? I think um, Justin Scoggins. I think he's the fight to watch. I think he's, uh, he, he, you know, he, he, he's, a, he, he's a superstar in the making. He has all the potential. He has a swagger. He has the skill set. You know he's the karate style, exciting style, high level wrestler. Yeah, I think he, I think he's got it all. I guess we'll we'll say he's the fighter to watch. Okay, yeah, I oh. I agree with Scoggins as a fighter to watch. I mean, let's we both said he's a potential future world champion, so he's definitely someone to look out for. Now, my fighter to watch is Nikita Krylov. I mean, the kid's coming over to the United States. He's got a big name veteran to face, and if he wins this fight, I believe he will be fighting top ten guys. From here on out. So for me, I got to pay attention to Nikita Krylov. Now we got to look out for the, the fight to watch. So James, what's the fight to watch, man? Okay, I think the fight to watch is going to be Rose and the karate girl, or the, the point girl. I think I think that that, that fight is going to be pretty exciting. Because one thing's going to happen, Rose is, one thing, she is tough, and she's not going to just stay out there and lose. She, she's going to come in and she may get touched up, or she may be landing, but she's not just going to just not try to win. I mean, so I think uh, it could be if the girl's if the girl's going to stay on the outside and counter Rose is going to have to come in on her, which means she could be getting caught with some stuff or she's landed some stuff. So I think that fight's going to be really exciting to watch. Definitely, and my fight to watch is Matt Brown versus Jake Ellenberger. Look, anytime Matt Brown fights, unless he's fighting uh, Damian Maya, which you know we all know the deal with that. But anytime Matt Brown fights, for the most part. 
it's you know one of the most exciting fights you've ever seen and jake ellenberger needs a victory badly he needs it so i i, I think he's going to come out swinging and if you come out swinging against a guy like matt brown you know it's a recipe for a fight of the night so that is my fight to watch for UFC ATL, UFC 201. Now, James, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's always a pleasure, my man. And uh, let the audience know what's coming up next for you, man. How much time you taking off, and uh, what do you plan to do next? Yeah, I um, I, I my goal is to fight in like November or December. I I, I was whether the results that that last fight or not. Um, I was already planning on taking off. You know, a big part of the time. My goal was to help me progress in between fights, obviously, and also a few injuries I've had. Like my, I've had a, a pretty bad elbow injury off and on for a while now, and I've been trying to rest it up and work. I'm still training, you know, as much as I possibly can, and I'm trying to work around the injury. But it got to a point where I had to really, I had to really stop doing a lot of stuff. You know, I'm not going to go into details and give, give my opponent any dirt on me, but. Uh, <laughs> But I've had, you know, I had an elbow injury that was that was pretty bad. So I'm, I've been working around it and doing the best I can for that, and just uh, hopefully in the next month to six weeks it'll be a hundred percent, and then I can go back to training a hard hundred percent everything I want to do, and then you know start my camp hopefully Octoberish and have a you know seven eight week training camp, and which I don't really have training camp. I mean I I do leave and go to training camps. But I train full-time back home. I train twice a day, no matter what, whether I have a fight coming up or not. I always train, you know, minimum four four hours a day, sometimes four to six hours a day. And I just I just practice, you know, this is my life. And so I am progressing a lot. And I've been adding some new stuff into my game. And hopefully I'll be able you know, have it down good enough that I can, I can use a lot of it in my next fight. Awesome, man. You know we'll be tuning in for sure, and we'll be in touch as always, man. James, thanks again for the time, brother, and have a great day. All right, man? Yes, sir. Thank you. Later, Daniel. See you later, man. Peace. There you have it, folks. James the Texecutioner Vic, my boy. And, man, we can't wait to see him get back in the octagon, get back in that win column, which we all know he's going to do. And, man, we got to talk about these early prelims, so let's get right down to it. We got Damian Brown. He's minus 120. The comeback on Cesar Arzamindia is plus 100. Now, Damian Brown, man, you know, he made his UFC debut on a week short notice against Alain Patrick which is a very tough opponent to take on a week short notice. And, you know, Damian Brown, he works as a prison guard. So the guy wasn't even in shape for the fight. And he went all three rounds with Patrick, which was pretty impressive. So now I'm curious to see how he looks, you know, in 100% shape. But we also got to factor in the, you know, the fact that he is flying over from Australia, the jet lag. But he came in two weeks in advance, so he's got to be acclimated. Now with Cesar Arzamendia, he's from Paraguay, he's a Muay Thai striker, good in the clinch, he's very aggressive, he comes to fight. You know, in his last fight, he got caught by Polo Reyes. I'm not sure if it was a chin issue, if it was an off-balance issue, or if he was kind of sick going into that fight because he looked a little bit abnormally skinny. So I expect a better Cesar Arzamendia this time out. It's a really tough fight to, to call, man. I'm going to go with Damian Brown because I think he's more experienced. And because he was on my show, Half the Battle, which you can check out exclusively on YouTube, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Nah, but on the real, I, I think the experience will pay dividends here. But I'm not confident enough to bet it because I want to see what both of them look like at 100%. So just sit back and enjoy this one. 
Now next up, we got the Fight Pass featured prelim. We got Michael Graves, he's minus 235. The comeback on Boyan Velichkovic is plus 195. Now y'all already know, Michael Graves is my teammate at Knuckle Up, so I'm super biased. I gotta pick him for the victory here. But look, Boyan's no slouch. He's a very good point fighter. He knows how to get these victories. I just think he's gonna get grinded out here. I mean, I know Michael Graves firsthand is in the best shape of his life. He's had the best training camp of his life, and he's training with uh, great training partners at Knuckle Up. You know, Chaz Walton, David Kay, Jordan Rinaldi. He's getting some really good work in, and I think that's going to translate on Saturday night in ATL. You know, it's going to be a, a hometown show for him, so he might be a little bit more nervous, but his grind is uh, pretty unstoppable, and I think he's going to put it on Boyan. And next up, we got... Anthony Hamilton, he's minus 130. The comeback on Damian Grabowski is plus 110. And, you know, man, I hate saying shit like, oh, Anthony Hamilton's the worst fighter in the UFC because it's super disrespectful. But, man, isn't he ugly to watch? Come on, be real with me. He's super ugly to watch. But with Damian Grabowski, you know, they gave him the Black Beast in his UFC debut. And, uh, you know, he got uh, he, he got initiated into the UFC. But now, I think he's going to come back better, man. You know, he's got a very good record. It's like 21-3. and three. One doesn't simply, you know, compile a 21-3 and three record in pro MMA. It has been against, you know, mostly cans on the European scene. However, it's not like Anthony Hamilton is uh, that much better than those guys, you know. So, I'm going to go with uh, Grabowski here as the dog. Now, no bet yet. I mean, unless I see something on the scales. But uh, Grabowski will be my pick here. Why not? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just going to be uh, your typical uh, boring heavyweight fight. And hopefully I'm wrong because I'm attending the event. As you guys know, I want to see these two throw down. But Grabowski is more of your ground fighter. Anthony, I mean, I guess he thinks he has striking. But he's kind of a, you know, hug you against the fence kind of guy. I, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes down. I'm going to pick Grabowski. Now, guys, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to check out Half the Battle, it's always a pleasure. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Best Fight Picks. You can get my plays at bestfightpicks.com. Once again, subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Big thanks to my homie James Vick for joining me. Follow him at James Vick MMA. And last thing I gotta tell you guys, if you're attending UFC 201, do not be shy. Make sure to come up and say what's up to me because I'm going to be there with the crew. We're going to be chilling. It's going to be a great time, great night of fights. And uh, until the next time, enjoy the fights.